Starting with verse 23 of Acts 1. So they proposed to Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also known as Justice and Matthias. Then they prayed, You, Lord, know everyone's heart. Show which of these two you have chosen to take the place in this apostolic ministry. Then Judas left to go, that Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots for them, and the lot fell to Matthias, and he was added to the 11 apostles. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. I gave my life to Christ really early, like five years old, and it was memorable and legitimate. Jesus said we enter the kingdom as children, so don't ever minimize what Jesus does in the heart of a child. That's why I want to children's camp, all of the things that many of you do and as, as teachers, as workers, it is major kingdom work. We know from the development of an individual, we know from child develop, development and human development principles that there does come a time in adolescence to young adulthood that the decision needs to be reaffirmed you know, as an adult, and that certainly happened to me, and I was, I'm guessing 12 or 13, and I was at a summer camp, and uh, one of my youth pastors, Brent Batson, confronted me with the gospel, and he changed my life, the Lord changed my life, I, I was able to understand as adult what God had done to me as a child, and that was in Oklahoma, I was at a camp in in Oklahoma, and, and just everything changed after that. And that's a great part of the story. But I want to tell you an angle to that story that is not as good. And Brent, he is still one of my best friends in the world. I talk to him every week, so this is not about him. I want to make that clear. There was another pastor working with Brent at that camp that I gave my life to Christ at that was really talented really good with students. He was a worship pastor and he led us in music. And I just was so impressed with him and God used his ministry in my life, not only for that decision, but for that whole experience. And in my estimation, he, he was just, he felt very Christ-like just because of his friendliness. And a couple of years later, I discovered that he was arrested for a crime he was guilty of. This was much more than just a biblical interpretation of something that would disqualify someone from church leadership. This was something culture itself had said, this is wrong and punishable by prison. And it was tough news to hear. It was difficult news to hear and I was fortunate enough to have great parents, great pastors, you know, that I was able to just navigate that. I had other voices in my life, but it stuck with me. And all these years later, 30 years later, I'm thinking about it and thinking how hard that was. What a story to tell on Pastor's Appreciation Sunday, right? I say that because we're going to talk a few minutes about Judas, the one who betrayed Jesus, adds we were just kind of going through the book of Acts right now. And Judas 
informs us about the potential among us and within us. And I, and I have to say this, is that we know this, that in the kingdom of God, we will discover, you've probably discovered it already, and you certainly will in the future. It's a, it's a pattern that's biblical, and it's sad, but we'll, we'll discover there's those among us who, who we thought were in the kingdom, but they weren't. At least maybe they weren't living it with their actions. And before we get all pious and we thank those people, we all have to admit that we have the potential to be that person. Like even if right now, like everything's good with you and you're right with the Lord and you're right with key relationships in your life, we have the potential to turn from God. I don't want us to, and I'm not suggesting that that should happen, but I just want us to be humble enough to realize that we all have that potential. And so here we discover, we discover that not, not to alarm us and not to create expectations, but to warn us in the future that if those close to us are those we respect or those we esteem fall away from the Lord, that, that we know that the Lord is sovereign and he is still at work even through that disappointment. So I want to talk to you that the title of my message today is The Sovereign God Who Works Through People. This is who God is. And we don't talk enough about the sovereignty of God because we've decided that's a controversial subject. I don't think we should. Uh, one of the reasons why is that we tend to divide people into two camps at everything in life. It's like you're either in this group, group A, or group B. And you can see this played out binary distinctions through many, many things in life. It's just easy to, to do that. Let's just cut the room in half. People on the left, people on the right. And, you know, and there, there is now, we actually use that term. I didn't realize that when I said that, but we use that, you know, theologically, politically, all kinds of different ways. We divide people. So the church has been, for about 500 years, theologically divided over sovereignty, the sovereignty of God and the free will of man as if it was one or the other. And I don't really like to be categorized, but systems categorize us. So we, we, we are asked the question, you may have been asked this or you may be asked this in the future. Do you believe that God is sovereign? Like God controls everything? Or do you believe that man makes the choice? And the correct answer is yes and yes. God is sovereign. And yet in his sovereignty, we're making choices. And it's a tightrope that keeps us balanced. Have you, have you, ever, have you ever walked on a tightrope? I haven't. I, I stopped when I was about four years old. But I still understand the concept is that is, is, you're, you're walking and you have to stay balanced to, to stay on the plank in front of you or the rope in front of you. And so this is kind of theologically how we are with the sovereignty of God and the free will that we can choose. And so those who fully believe in the sovereignty of God in all things, well, that's not a good way to put it. Let, let, let's go back to the two distinctions because I believe in the sovereignty of God in all things. There are people who are Calvinists and Calvinists believe five main points. Now, I'd like to say this. I'm almost a Calvinist, but I'm a free will guy, just in case you're curious. I'm a four-point Calvinist, not a five-point Calvinist. Because I don't believe in the limited atonement. 
The limited atonement is this idea that Jesus only died for the elect. I believe Jesus died for everyone. He died for the whole world, every human being, and, and really for the whole cosmos. I mean, for everything. He's, he's redeeming everything. But, but the other things involved in that, um, total depravity and, and limit, uh, uh, unconditional grace. I have these down here. I'm sorry I didn't have the acronym uh, memorized. The, the, the other things that I am uh, more aligned with. And what that does is that gives us a, a true centering, centering on the Lord. I want you to write this down. Here's the first thing I want you to see through this passage today. God is sovereign amidst evil. And there's many, many examples of this, and Judas is one of them. Verse 15, in those days, Peter stood up among the brothers and sisters the numbers of people who were together was about 120 and said, brothers and sisters, it was necessary that Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus, it was necessary that the scripture be fulfilled, I'm sorry, that the Holy Spirit, through the mouth of David, foretold about Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was one of our number and shared in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with his unrighteous wages. He fell head first, his body burst open, and his intestines spilled out. You can tell the Bible can be really, really graphic, can it? Verse 19, this became known to all the residents of Jerusalem so that in their own language that field is called the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his dwelling become desolate, no, let no one live in it, and let someone else take his position. So here, here's a principle that we'll preach, okay? This is a principle that I believe and that would warm up this room. If you spend time with Jesus, you can't help but change. You spend time with Jesus and you're close to him, you're going to get close to his heart and close to his presence, and he's going to transform your life. How many know that? That'll preach, won't it? And I do believe it. But we see here that in the relationship between God's will for the earth that God works even when things seem to oppose his regular will and plan. And Judas is an example of that. Judas was very close to Jesus. Very, Jesus uh, excuse me, Judas was chosen to handle the money. Even here at our church, the people we choose to manage the money, whether it's the leadership board or the people who uh, are hired by the church to, to manage the money are people that have to have credentials. They have to have a, a good reputation. They have to have certain qualifications. And they are impressive people. So Judas was impressive. Judas had impressive qualities. Yet, in God's sovereignty, God's sovereignty was moving. A bigger story was at work because one who was close to Jesus still was not transformed to Jesus. This is not a regular principle. It's not a common principle. But it's part of the sovereignty of God and how God works. So what does the word sovereignty mean? So we can talk about that. Let me, let me give you just a, a good theological uh, definition of sovereignty. And now, especially since I have my notes in the right order. How many know that page three is before page two? 
you know, you have to rely on the Lord there. Someone who, Cindy's a preacher, so she knew, she, she laughed with me. She knew exactly what I was going through. The sovereignty of God, and you can listen to this part, it is his absolutely, absolute right to do all things according to his good will and pleasure. It means this, that God rules and works according to his purpose. Now, here's the part that will make you scratch your head a little bit. Even though events that seem to contradict or oppose his usual rule. I'll say that again. God rules and works according to his eternal purpose, even through events that seem to contradict or oppose his rule, such as Judas spending three years with Jesus and becoming more corrupt. That, that's not supposed to be how the story goes if we're talking about a formula, if we're talking about a principle, but there was a sovereign work in there and we could debate all afternoon, well, when did Judas choose and when did God choose for him? And, and, and those are things that we can ponder for, for a whole lifetime. But the practicality of this, for your faith and for your future, uh, bringing us back to my opening story, I'm sorry to tell you this, but I, I want you to be prepared, is that in the kingdom of God, there will be some people among us who are either have never been in the kingdom or who are in the kingdom and have left the kingdom, but they're still attending church. This, this is the part that's scary. They're still, they, they may enjoy the friendships of church. They may enjoy the business benefits of church. They may really like their spouse who's into church. They may, uh-oh, this is going to step on some toes here. They may enjoy their paycheck from the church. But they're not in the kingdom anymore. Now, who are these people? Should we make a list together? We don't know who these people are. It's a little unsettling, isn't it? It's a kind of good discomfort. Because we should not, we should not trust people blindly. We should only trust the Lord completely. So, so it's a good kind of discomfort to know that there is potential. There is potential for there to be Judases among us, and there's a potential for us to be a Judas. Either never in the kingdom or turn away from the kingdom. And the Lord, the Lord loves all and wants those people to come back to him. Now, in case you don't believe me, Jesus talked about this himself in Matthew 13. This is not on your bulletin or review, so you'll want to write this reference down. Matthew 13, verse 24 through 30. And let's read this. He presented another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while people were sleeping, his enemy came, sowed weeds among the wheat, and left. And when the plant sprouted and produced grain, the weeds also appeared. The landowner's servant, servants came to him and said, Master, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Then where did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he told them. So do you want us to go and pull them up? The servant asked him. No, he said. When you pull up the weeds, you might also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At harvest time, I'll tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and tie them in bundles to burn them, but collect the wheat in my barn. Now, parables are incredible because 
there's all types of applications. That's what makes them parables. It's like we could just take this story full of wisdom and apply it many different ways. But I see that here in the kingdom of God, and the church is an expression of the kingdom of God, it's like there are people that the enemy will plant among us. And I'm not telling you this. Let's not be suspicious and try to make this list because I don't know if we can even know that until harvest day. It's the Lord who knows that. I know this. I don't want to be one of those people. I don't want to be wheat. Excuse me, I want to be wheat. Yes, I do. I don't want to be a weed planted by the enemy. I want to be fruitful for the Lord. But this is a warning so your faith isn't shaken. So that sadly, when you hear in the future news that breaks the heart of the Lord about someone you esteem who's no longer in the kingdom, it won't shake your faith in Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. This is why it's important to talk about this when there's not a story. I'm not thinking of a person. I'm not thinking of a story. This is why the teaching of God's word is important because we're not reacting to an event here. We're being proactive to say, Lord, prepare your people for the days ahead. And this has been occurring since the day of Judas throughout church history and in our own memory. We know of this occurring. And I say, Lord, help me not to be like that. Help others not to be like that. Let, let us, oh God, be fruitful people that you want. Part of God's grace is not uprooting people from the church. That's not a weak God, that's a graceful God. Because sometimes if he uprooted certain entities or certain people from the kingdom of God, it would mess up people in, in, in ways we don't know. So some things are deferred for the next day. They're, they're deferred for the future. So we have to trust God's sovereignty in that. Have you ever discovered a story and you're like, God, why don't you expose that person? Because that's terrible. Well, that's why he's God and I'm not. Because he may not want to uproot the wheat when he uproots the weeds. Are you with me on that? You understand that? This, this is part of his grace, part of his wisdom, part of his sovereignty. And the sovereignty of God, unfortunate, well, it's fortunately because it's his sovereignty, but it's painful to say the sovereignty of God allows both to grow together in the kingdom. Here's number two. God is sovereign through preparation. Write it down. God is sovereign through preparation. And, and specifically, I'm talking about when he's preparing you for his work. Acts verse one, chapter one, verse 21. Therefore, from among the men who have accompanied us during the whole time, the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day he was taken up from, a, from us, from among these, it is necessary. There's a word necessary a second time. That one become a witness with us of the resurrection. This is part of God's sovereignty. It was necessary for Judas to do his work and to be uprooted. And now it's necessary for someone to replace Judas in that original 12. And th this is occurring from someone who had been with the disciples from the beginning. And we see, we'll see from later scriptures, there were more than one candidate. There were several candidates, at least two candidates that, that we'll, we'll see today. And so Matthias was picked. We'll discover that just in a couple of minutes here. 
And I want, what I want you to think about Matthias is Matthias was with them from the beginning, which meant he was excluded from some of the things Jesus did with his disciples. It, it is likely that we, you know, after Jesus fed the 5,000 and he said there's 12 baskets left over, it's likely that the 12 disciples carried the 12 baskets. Poor Matthias didn't have a basket. It was likely Matthias wasn't at the Last Supper. He certainly wasn't on the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus took the three. So here's this idea that Jesus is perfect son of God who loves everyone, who's redeeming the world. Um, you know, he worked through certain groupings of people and there was a time when Matthias wasn't part of that group of people. But I want to suggest to you, it was a preparation time because when he was needed and when God's sovereign will led him to the place of leadership among the original 12 and he became one of the original 12 to replace Judas. All of the times when we are assuming that he was excluded was part of God's preparation. And I just want to talk to you who may feel like you're not recognized. You're overlooked. You maybe feel like you're excluded out of certain groupings. And I don't know what grouping that is. It's a grouping important to you. I don't know what that is. But there's just some kind of grouping that wouldn't it be nice to be part of that? And you don't feel part of that group. Can we trust God's sovereignty that he's preparing you? There's a reason you're in the peripheral. There's a reason that you're still around. There's a reason that God has you where you're at. And he may need you to replace a Judas someday. He may need you to step in because Matthias was uniquely qualified. And here's my third point today. God is sovereign in establishing leaders. He's sovereign in establishing leaders. So verse 23, so they proposed to Joseph called Bersabbas, who was also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's hearts. Isn't that the sovereignty of God? You know everyone's hearts. God, you know where people are. And reading the scripture now. Show which of these two you have chosen to take the place in the apostolic ministry that Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots for them. And the lot fell to Matthias. And he was added to the 11 apostles. The general principle that I'm suggesting here, the scripture's teaching us today, is God is the decision maker. God is the one leading. God is the one establishing leadership. And he establishes leadership for certain times and certain places for certain people. Sometimes who's the most qualified person on paper is not the person God has for the group of people. Sometimes what makes sense in the natural is not what the Lord has. Often the Lord does work through natural processes. He does. But often God does something different. And I want you to be encouraged in this because some of you are unduly discouraged because you don't feel like you're in a group you want to be in or you're discouraged because you have not been recognized in leadership in a place you want to be. And the Lord wants you to know this today. He is sovereign. That's what he wants you to know. 
I mean, that's a whole lot better than me saying, oh, just keep on pressing through. You're the one. You know, all of the little phrases that, that we have in, in, in the success industry, those inspiring phrases that have helped me, but they're all still based off me. I'm going to make it to the top. I'm going to make it to the summit. I'm going to overcome. I know the Lord uses those kind of phrases, but I'm telling you today, I'm telling you today something much more powerful than a catchy phrase. I'm telling you there is a sovereign God who is developing you, who's preparing you, who's positioning you, and he's going to put you exactly where you need to be. I'm telling you there is power and authority on that principle. So we can trust God. We can rely on him. And we can see that God is putting together his church, and he's putting together businesses. I believe the Lord is in, in he's in commerce. He's wanting Christian businesses and, and business people to prosper. He's wanting schools to prosper. He's wanting the realm that you're involved in to do well, to do kingdom work, and, and he is positioning you. So it's okay if you're not in the inner crowd now. It's okay if you're overlooked. It's okay if you don't get favor with people you want favor with. It's okay if the timeline is slower than you anticipated because God has not changed. And he is sovereign. And he, he's advancing his kingdom. And he's advancing his purposes. And he's advancing, he's advancing you. He's preparing you for that work. When, when I was in college, I, I decided I wanted to go full out for the ministry. Full out for the ministry. And so I quit the sport I was playing in college and I moved back home and I didn't see, I didn't know then that my ministry was still at my college and that, that I, I had a ministry on my team. I had a ministry on my campus. I, I thought back then that ministry was just preaching because I like to preach and I, I guess I was pretty good at it. Some people thought I was. Hopefully you think I'm okay at it. Um, but uh, I, I enjoyed it because, you know, preaching is definitely an ego boost it really is. And so that's why we have to be really careful about it. So I, I want to go preach the word. I'm going to give up sports to preach the, 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 the word of God. And now the Lord's going to have to make me Billy Graham because I'm, I'm so, I'm giving so much up for him, you know? So that was kind of my mindset. I went back to my home church. It was a good church, good church. And they had a lot of ministry activity and they were, they were good to me, but they didn't recognize my gift in the way I expected no, 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 no prearranged um, conversations. I just thought, I'm going to show up. And because I've given things up for the Lord, my ministry is just going to flourish right where I want it, in my hometown, in my home church. And it just didn't work out that way. And it was disappointing. You know, as a young man, I had to deal with that. And so I returned back to my college kind of with my tail tucked between my legs and kind of came back. I, I told everyone I was going to go off and change the world. And I was six months later, right back to where I was, standing in line in the cafeteria like everybody else. Um, and that January, I got a phone call from uh, John McKenzie who said, hey, Aaron, we want you to come to Nashville this summer to be an intern at our church. And I interned there in 95, 96, 97, came to that church full time met my wife, Beth, and here I am leading a church in Middle Tennessee now. So this is, this is, this is 
the sovereignty of God. If he would have given me what I wanted and given me favor where I wanted him to give me favor, then I might not be at the place he's chosen for me today. When we ask for God's favor, it's not a blanket statement like everything we do, we're gonna get favor. We get favor with the people he wants us to have favor with. That means good people that we admire, we may not get favor with because he doesn't want us to have favor there. The place of favor is somewhere else because it's not about us having our wishes come true. It's not about us living our dream. It's about the kingdom. It's about the kingdom. It's about the sovereignty of God. It's about God connecting leadership with people and entities and God advancing his work in the world. And it's much bigger than, than some of the way we think about success and advancement. And it always goes better for us. All over the earth, God is raising up leadership this is an exciting time to be alive. The global church is thriving. The global church is alive. There's a leadership that is growing all over the continent of Africa, all over South America. There is powerful churches rising up in China, in the Middle East. There is a gospel presence all over the world and the Lord is raising up leadership and he's using our church to help raise up leadership. He's doing a great work within us and he's raising up kingdom leadership in all sectors. He's raising up kingdom leadership in the arts. He's raising up kingdom leadership in music. He's raising up kingdom leadership in civic life. He's raising up kingdom leadership in education. He's raising up kingdom leadership in the most important place, the home. And he's raising up people who say, I'm going to have the kingdom of God come and be established in this home among the people who live here. And he's raising up kingdom leadership in the church. It's an exciting time to be alive. We're going to see God do great exploits. The greatest days, the greatest days of harvest are ahead of us. And guess what? You're not an observer of that. You're a participant in that. That means your devotional life matters. Your church participation matters. The way you choose, the, the choices you make, makes a huge difference in the kingdom of God and not just in you fulfilling your potential. It's God's sovereign story for the whole world. He is redeeming everything. And yes, you're going to heaven. Can we just accept that we're going to heaven? Let's move forward in bringing the heaven to earth and doing the things that God's called us to do, doing great exploits for the kingdom of God. This is our sovereign God. And I want you to know that he has placed you where you need to be. This means that the place you are to invest and the place where you are to grow and the place where you are to lead is most likely the place you are already at. Yes, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit through the book of Acts moves people. He tells people to go here and to go there and to go places, but this is not an expression out of internal fulfillment. It's following the leadership of the Holy Spirit. If we obey, obey the Scripture, follow the Spirit, and live in community, we're gonna find ourselves exactly where we're supposed to be, doing exactly what we're supposed to do, doing it with who we're supposed to doing it with, and we're going to see God's story come to the earth. This is what, this is why the sovereign God works through people. We don't just live this life and God takes care of everything. He invades our life.
and he moves through us and he develops us. I want to invite our ushers to prepare to distribute communion because today is our day to take corporate communion together. And I I hope the teaching of God's word and his sovereignty just opens our view of God and just makes us see God as greater and larger and his activity in our life. So I pray you're blessed by that principle. Now we transition to a time of consecration to the Lord where we give our hearts wholly to Christ through the elements, through the symbolic bread and the symbolic cup in which we know from Scripture His presence is with us when we take the bread and drink the cup. If you're a Christian here today, you may not want to take communion, and that's okay. You can let that pass. There's good reasons why Christians sometimes let the communion pass. But every single person here who believes in Jesus, you're invited. You're welcome. We want you to come to the table of the Lord. And at, this, at this day, we're passing out communion, but the table of the Lord is symbolically open to you to come because he's invited everyone. We don't come to the table of the Lord out of our own morality. Because I just know this. I know that you guys have sinned this weekend. I just know it. I'm not a prophet. I'm a human being, and I know it. I know that you have sinned this weekend. It just, it just, we, just even when we don't want to sin, we sin, right? I mean, Paul said that. I mean, we're trying not to sin, and sin comes looking for us. And, 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 and it comes from within us. It comes from our personalities and our anger and all that kind of stuff. So, so. The, the idea of, I'm not qualified for communion, that's nonsense. You're, it's nonsense in, in, in the fact that you're never going to be qualified for communion. It's Jesus who's qualified you. It's Jesus who's opened the door. It's Jesus who's made the way. It's Jesus who's a substitute. Jesus paid the price. I don't come to the Lord out of my own morality, my own self-will, my own discipline. I don't come to the Lord because I've been better this week than I was last week. I don't bring my works to the Lord. I bring my heart to the Lord. And I come to him and I just say, I trust you wholly and completely, Jesus. And communion reminds us of that. And we're not dedicated to CIL. We're not dedicated to Aaron and Beth. We're not dedicated to our 242 group. We're dedicated to Jesus Christ primarily. He is supreme. He is is the one who there's no comparison to. He is the one that's sovereign over our lives. And this opportunity for us as a family is to come equal equal to the table of the Lord. I'm so glad they recognize, I'm so honored, let's put it that way, they recognize my fellow pastors, but we are servants because we're all equal. We come to the same bread and the same cup, the same salvation. There's not levels, there's not categories, there's not special people. We're all special and and under the shadow of the cross and what Jesus did for us. So that's why we're taking communion today. And so I want us to pray together. Father, we come and we give our hearts to you. We dedicate our hearts to you, Lord, in this time of reflection. We pray that any sin we need to confess to you, we would confess it readily and quickly, knowing that you are faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from unrighteousness. We trust you completely, Christ Jesus. As you reflect upon your life, um, I want you to confess any sin to the Lord in, in just a minute or two, as soon as the communion is distributed, I will come and lead us in taking the bread and taking the cup together. Let's now turn to the Lord. We dedicate this time to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.